Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville, also streaming worldwide at forwardradio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 361. Today's topic is the Green New Deal. This is an important topic to discuss because our government is pouring countless billions of dollars into so-called clean and renewable energy, and they are absolutely going in the wrong direction, in my humble opinion. So what I'm going to do is read through one of the best Green New Deals, which is the, uh, the, the Green Party's Green New Deal. If you go back three years, I fully embraced the Green Party's Green New Deal. I was a member of the Green Party at the time, and, and I took their word for this is the way to go. I believed what we're about to read here, but since then, I have, you know, the more I find out about solar power, the less it makes sense. Not that it doesn't have certain applications, but it's not going to maintain this out-of-control industrial economy that we have with 2 to 3% per year economic growth. It makes no sense at all when you look into it. Plus, the ecological problems that go along with solar power, the ecological problems that go along with wind power, are it's game changer if you, absol- if you actually know what's going on. But sadly, most environmentalists don't know what's going on. They have not looked at how the sausage is made. They're not seeing the ecological impact at the level of mining, at the level of processing the materials that you need to make wind power and solar power, at the level of transporting the materials, building roads, manufacturing, refining materials, transporting the products uh, to the site, doing the installation, doing the maintenance, and then doing the disposal and the recycling. Uh, A couple of resources that I want to point you to in that regard that show the not-so-flattering side of so-called clean and renewable energy. One is Planet of the Humans, the Michael Moore movie. Uh, Another is an article called Green Billionaires, and it's by Max Blumenthal. And a third resource, and what's better than all the rest put together, is a book called Bright Green Lies by Derek Jensen, Lear Keith, and Max Wilbert. And also a movie uh, called Bright Green Lies, based on the book, the movie is by Julia Barnes. It's very important that we know what we're getting into before we get too far down this road of so-called clean and renewable energy. But the government has recently authorized the Inflation Reduction Act, which puts $367 billion into this in the form of tax credit, mainly tax credits, but also direct funding. So let's look at the Green Party's version of the Green New Deal and go from there. It says here, the centerpiece of the Green New Deal is a commitment to transition to 100% clean renewable energy by 2030. The transition to clean energy is not only a visionary plan for a better world, it's absolutely necessary to ensure we have a world at all. It says, the climate crisis is a serious threat 
to the survival of humanity and life on Earth. So let's look at that selling point right there. It says the climate crisis is a serious threat to the survival of humanity and life on Earth. I don't think you can separate the climate crisis from the biodiversity crisis. Biodiversity crisis means we're losing something on the order of 150 species per day. In my lifetime, we have lost 70% of wild vertebrates. 70% in uh, my almost 60-year lifetime. Currently, 96% of vertebrates are either, or no, uh, 96% of mammals and birds our humans and our livestock and our pets, but mainly our livestock. So 96% of all vertebrates are livestock plus humans, meaning we have laid waste to the populations of these animals that used to exist in the wild. This is an incredibly short amount of time, and it is much more of a crisis than the climate crisis, in my humble opinion. Besides, the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis have uh, similar root causes. It's industrialization. It's all the things that humans do. The problem is not just how we generate energy, but it's all of the things that we do. So it's just a fantasy, in my view, to say that if we fix the climate, then we will thereby save the planet. Those are two entirely different things, and we should be focused on saving life on Earth first, because if you don't save living things and ecosystems, you're not going to save the climate either. The climate, in my view, is much more a function of ecosystems and water cycles than it is uh, merely greenhouse gases. If, if you have functioning water cycles, then uh, that water that's flowing through ecosystems on the land, it tends to store heat. It tends to be slow to lose heat and slow to gain heat so you don't have the extremes of weather. You know, when we see news coverage of the effects of climate change, it's almost always droughts and floods. Well, we can fix droughts and floods without doing anything to greenhouse gases. We should work to control greenhouse gases, but we can do that until our dying breath and still not do anything for the ecosystems, the water cycles, and the biodiversity. Continuing to read in the Green Party's Green New Deal, to prevent catastrophe, we need a World War II scale mobilization to transition to a sustainable economy with 100% clean renewable energy, public transit, sustainable agriculture, and conservation. So they list four things here, 100% clean and renewable energy, public transit, sustainable agriculture, and conservation. I think they've got those in the exact wrong order. Uh, conservation should be number one. Sustainable agriculture uh, should be number two, but it's the same thing. Sustainable agriculture is very much part of 
conservation because if we have sustainable agriculture, then our farmland can absolutely also be habitat for wildlife. And our farmland can absolutely serve as uh, you know, restoration of our ecosystems, restoration of our water cycles, etc. It also says here we need a World War II scale mobilization. How about demobilization? You know, sometimes the best thing to do is to sit home and do nothing. We could, uh, we could pay people to stay home, <laughs> and we would be doing better uh, when it comes to, you know, many of the jobs that people do. Many of the jobs that people do in the realm of, of defense, which is not defense, it's just making the world more dangerous. Many things in the realm of transportation, especially global shipping. We don't need more mobilization. We don't need to do what Biden says to do in his climate plan, which is we need to create whole new industries. Okay, how about we not create whole new industries? Because that's just, it's more energy, it's more fossil fuels, it's more needless activity. How about we restore our ecosystems, and if we restore our ecosystems, then we will thereby be setting the stage for absorbing carbon. And how about if we demobilize much of our manufacturing, because we're making crap we don't need. We're making equipment we don't need. How about we pr prioritize human health and well-being and human flourishing? How about we stop pretending that we need this hyperactive industrial economy to be happy and well. If you're just joining me, this is Hart Hagen on the Climate Report, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. We're reading from the Green Party's Green New Deal, which is a, a, a you know, three-fourths of it is great, but one-fourth of it is, uh, you know, leading us in the wrong direction, and I'll share more with you why. So the Green Party's Green New Deal says, Already tens of millions of people have turned into climate refugees, and hundreds of thousands die annually from air pollution, heat waves, drought-based food shortages, floods, rising seas, epidemics, storms, and other lethal impacts of climate change and fossil fuels. Okay, a long list of things that, that they touch upon here. It says people have been turned into climate refugees. Well, the idea, the misleading idea is that all these climate refugees are due to greenhouse gases. Climate refugees are, uh, you know, they're much more due to war and bad agriculture. You know, the, 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 the crisis in Syria has been blamed on climate change. But I would say there are two causes of the crisis in Syria that have nothing to do with greenhouse gases or climate change. One of them is bad agriculture, uh, which is, you know, plowing and, and tillage and chemical fertilizers and pesticides and growing monocultures instead of growing polycultures. Uh, we don't have enough diversity on our farmland. We're tilling, we're destroying the soils, and our soils can only take so much of that. Civilizations grow and then collapse. They grow when they learn to exploit the soil, and then they collapse when they, the soil is finally worn out. So that's one cause of the refugee crisis in, in, in Syria. 
But the, the, the primary cause, especially the ones that Americans are responsible for largely, is war. We have orchestrated a war in Syria. In the Obama administration, there was Operation Timber Sycamore. Timber Sycamore, I mean, timber means you're going to cut down a tree. S-Y, Sycamore is kind of similar to Syria. So we're going to, we're going to cut down the head of Syria. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be a, you know, we're going to take out this dictator, Bashar al-Assad. Don't get me started on the hogwash that we have to swallow to buy into these regime change wars. Syria has been destroyed largely because of U.S. meddling, and we are allied with the local affiliates of ISIS and al-Qaeda. Of course, you're not going to hear about this on MSNBC or CNN or Fox News. Uh, The last time Jeffrey Sachs went on MSNBC and told the truth about Syria, well, that's the last time he was on there. So when we talk about climate refugees, let's talk about why are these people refugees and what could we do about it? Are there causes of these refugee crises that have nothing to do with climate? And the answer is yes. So let's be smart and look at all the causes. It says here hundreds of thousands die annually from air pollution. Okay, are we going to fix that by further industrializing? Mines pollute the air. So-called renewable energy is going to result in more mining. So-called renewable energy is going to result in the, uh, the, the building of an entirely new energy grid because the source of energy, solar and wind, is less consistent and less powerful. So you have to build a whole new grid that has a lot of metals, it has a lot of plastics, it has um, a lot of concrete, and a lot of steel. So we're going to have these massive construction projects going on, these massive manufacturing projects going on. It's not clean or renewable. So let's reduce all of that stuff. Let's, let's not further industrialize. Let's not create whole new industries. Hey, how about let's not do that? Somebody will say, Hart, well, how are we going to solve climate change? Well, it has a whole lot more to do with ecosystems, water cycles, biodiversity, and regenerative agriculture than it does with pretending that we're going to be doing something with so-called renewable energy. I mean, renewable energy is a diversion. It's a distraction. It's how are we going to fool environmentalists into thinking that we are somehow fixing the problem of climate change. Meanwhile, we continue to grow at 2 to 3% per year of economic growth. You can't continue to grow at 2 or 3% per year and somehow think you're going to use less fossil fuels because fossil fuels are a function of the economy. When dollars flow through the economy, that means more energy. Uh, If you increase the economy by 3%, then that's 3% more energy, that's 3% more fossil fuels, that's 3% more movement of materials through the economy, that's 3% more movement of electrons through our very increasingly complex, uh, you know, technological 
solutions. It's just a massive diversion and distraction, and we need to slow down. We need to do less. We need to focus on human well-being instead of pretending that economic growth is the key to human well-being. It's just another iteration of trickle-down economics. So the Green Party here is talking about the different problems we're facing. Heat waves, drought-based food shortages, floods, rising seas. Okay, heat waves are, uh, you know, I don't doubt that, that heat waves to some extent are caused by atmospheric conditions that are exacerbated by greenhouse gases. But I also know that a great deal of heat comes from hot surfaces like pavement, like bare dirt, like concrete. We can take some hot surfaces and cool them off by increasing the amount of plant matter that is on the hot surface. Or, you know, let's not build more uh, concrete. But the, the easiest way, really, the easiest way to deal to, to reduce the amount of hot surfaces in the world is to change the amount of agriculture that we do because monocrop agriculture, which means, you know, corn and soy and wheat, they, there are some cover crops, but mainly they're leaving the field bare about half of the year. On average, the crop fields of the world are bare half of the year that means hot surfaces they're not using cover crops besides why are we growing all these monocrops why are we growing all this corn we're not growing it for food i mean okay it, corn is mainly three things that are a waste one is corn ethanol another is animal feed i'm in favor of livestock but livestock can eat grass and, for, and legumes and uh, what's called forage. They can eat grasses and legumes. They can even eat, you know, um, trees and bushes. They can't eat the woody part, but they can eat the leaves. If you're just joining me, this is Hart Hagen on the Climate Report, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. So cattle and goats and sheep and camels can eat. They, they, you don't have to feed them corn. Cattle are not made to eat corn. Corn is a seed, and cattle are not made to eat seeds. But my original point was we have these monocrop fields that you grow the crop, and then you cut the crop, and then you leave the field bare, and that is a hot surface for much of the year. Humans have removed about half of the plant matter in the world, and we need to let that plant matter grow back. We need to nurture it. We need to encourage it. But, you know, the sun and the rain and the soil and the animals and the plants and the fungi are going to do most of the work if we step back a little bit and just set the stage for success. If we work with nature instead of working against nature, we can restore ecosystems, not least of all, in our farmlands and in our forests and in our home landscapes and residential landscapes and commercial landscapes and uh, public lands. 
So the Green Party's Green New Deal is talking about dealing with, with heat waves and drought based food shortages. Let's talk about drought. The American West is experiencing the worst drought in 1,200 years, and they want you to believe that it's because of greenhouse gases. You can prevent drought irrespective of greenhouse gases. Drought is more a function of what's on the surface. If you want to prevent drought, you need good soil. You need plant matter. To have good soil and plant matter, you need to have smart, strategic use of the land for crops and, and not least of all, animals. The Great Plains states used to have bison going north and going south. They would go north half the year, they would go south half the year, and they would create a tremendous impact on the land, And but then the land would have at least six months or maybe a year or two to recover before they came back around to that particular spot. So it would be dramatic impact over a very short duration, and then you know, months or years to recover from the impact, and which time they go back through and eat all the food that has had a chance to grow since then. In the meantime, the roots have grown deeper, the plants are taking that carbon out of the atmosphere and they're storing it into the, in the soil. You have water cycles that are working because the plant matter is able to grow. And, uh, and when you have that, you have the soils are able to absorb the rain when it comes. You don't have to have average or above average rain every year for your land to be, uh, to be doing well. The plant, plants can thrive. Plants can thrive when there's enough water in the ground, irrespective of what has come from the air. Yeah, it's good to have rain, but you can have above average rain and you can lose it all to runoff and flooding because the soil has been abused and the plant matter has been abused. So all this hand-wringing over droughts in the West, yes, it really sucks to have year after year after year of not enough rainfall, but when are you ready for the rain when it comes? And you know the people in the West, the farmers in the West, the, the citizens of the West have been lied to year after year after year for decades, for lifetimes, because you know, neither the papers nor the um, agriculture extension offices nor the land-grant universities know how to prepare the land to not be vulnerable to droughts and floods. And, you know, the citizens of the world, including environmentalists, they read about drought caused by, quote-unquote, climate change. Climate change is understood to mean greenhouse gases and not much else. But I tell you, drought is climate change. Flooding is, when there are more floods than there were before, that, that is climate change. What we've done to the land is climate change. It's not caused by climate change. It is climate change. So we scrape all the ecosystems off the land. We deny the soil 
of what it needs to be healthy and high functioning. And then we say, well, what do you know? All this flooding and all this drought. You know, what we do to the ground, what we do to the ground and what we do to the plant matter has many benefits that relate to rainfall. But not least of all, if you have enough forest cover, then a function, a high functioning, especially an older growth forest, but a high functioning diverse forest has the ability to attract rain. This is according to Anastasia Makareva and other scientists who are looking into this, but you know, people have observed for years, for decades, for centuries, Columbus uh, observed that there's a connection between deforestation and a decline in rainfall. So it's hard to prove, but there's anecdotal evidence in favor of it. And even if the even if the forest did not have that power to attract rainfall to it through atmospheric pressure, through this, you know, it emits this bacteria called Aerobacter. And we know that Aerobacter is a, a nucleus, a precipitation nucleus. So there's about a million little tiny droplets that go together to form a raindrop. Each one of those little bitty tiny droplets is, has a, a nucleus of some sort. Maybe it's a salt, maybe it's an ice crystal, maybe it's a bacteria. But much of the rain on land is uh, the, the, the precipitation nuclei are from that bacteria that is emitted by trees. All I'm saying is plant matter matters when it comes to not only creating rain, but preparing the ground to receive the rain that does fall. Farmer Gabe Brown in North Dakota had been, you know, practicing the principles of soil health and he had been doing so for decades. And when it, you know, when, one day it unexpectedly rained 20, it rained 13.6 inches in 22 hours. It rained over a foot in less than a day. It all soaked into the ground because his ground was ready to, to receive it. Gabe Brown's farm can soak in eight inches of rain per hour. When your farm soaks in eight inches of rain per hour, two things happen. One is it doesn't flood. And the other is the soil holds on to that water so that the plants can grow even if you have below average rainfall for months and years on end. Conversely, if your ground is not able to receive that rainfall, then it runs off. When it runs off, it runs into the rivers and the oceans and it becomes salt water. So we are on a net basis losing fresh water every year. Uh, hydrologist, hydrologist Michael Kravchik in Slovakia has calculated that we are losing 760 cubic kilometers of fresh water every year. That's 760 billion cubic meters of fresh water every year. That's enough to account for the two millimeter per year rise 
in ocean levels. Somebody might say, Hart, don't we need to reduce fossil fuels? Yes, we need to reduce fossil fuels. I say we reduce fossil fuels by 75%. But that's a whole other conversation. Oh, look at the time. Bye now.